Well, we're in week two of our Advent series called The Weary World Rejoices, which comes from that great Christmas carol, O Holy Night. Uh, Jolene and I, when we were trying to think of a name for this series, we were just going through every single Christmas carol and pulled up all the lyrics. And over Zoom, we were just reading out the lyrics to each other. Uh, and, and it felt like all these songs we spent our whole lives singing were coming to life in a new way for us. Um, every line was amazing in all these songs. Like, you know, we were like <laughs> reading them off. A thrill of hope. Oh, the weary world rejoices. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Or, uh, oh come, oh come, Emmanuel. All of these lyrics, it was like, you know, we had sung them our whole lives, but for some reason, when we were reading them together, it was like they took on a new meaning and every line meant more. It was like we were able to soak up these songs for the first time ever. It's like they were new to us again. I've been so excited for this series and really just for this Christmas season um, since we started planning the series because I don't know about you, but I am so ready for Christmas. I'm one of those proponents of, of not listening to Christmas music or decorating until at least after Thanksgiving. And I know we're all divided on this topic, but I just, for me, the season is more special when it's short. Um, kind of the waiting for it is what makes it so exciting to me. So, you know, I usually wait, but I feel like this year in 2020, anything goes. If you wanna listen to Christmas music in August this year, go ahead, fine by me, because whatever brings you joy in this season, I say, let's grab hold of that. Um, so I've been, you know, just dreaming about Christmas for the last few months. I've been dreaming about, you know, going all out with the Christmas decorations in my studio apartment or um, praying that the snow would come. And we're probably not going to get much snow in D.C., at least before Christmas, but hopefully I'll get it at home when I go to Buffalo. Um, I've been excited to drive around and see the lights. I've obviously gone to, to Salvation Army and bought out the whole Christmas section, right? Um, I've been, been listening now to Christmas music. I did wait until Thanksgiving, but uh, I, I, I wanna watch every Christmas movie that there is, except for the Hallmark Christmas movies because I just can't get on board with that yet. But I've been anticipating this Christmas season for what feels like months longer than I normally do. And I think at least for me, and maybe this is true for you, um, I think this is possibly because I've been forced to slow down and be aware of the season and think about it and anticipate it more than I ever have been to anticipate the season of Advent and celebration and think about what Christmas means and how we, we celebrate it and engage with it. We've been forced to, to slow down, as we've been talking about for almost a year now. We've been forced to slow down, and this time of year is always so busy for us. I know it is for me with events on campus, or worship nights, or finishing out our sermon series, or planning for the spring, um, or just traveling home, or traveling to see family, or buying Christmas gifts, and it's just so busy that for the first time in a long time, I feel like I'm able to slow down and really soak up this season, instead of letting that busyness determine my response to it. Advent is a time of leading up to the celebrating of the birth of Jesus, the birth of our Savior where we, you know, pause to think about um, and reflect on what God did in sending him here to, to die for us, to be born as a baby and to die for us, to redeem us from our sins. 
It's all about that anticipation of Jesus' coming. This pandemic has brought a lot of tragedy and a lot of pain and suffering, but it's also forced us to slow down maybe in a way that, that Advent was originally designed to in the first place. So tonight we find ourselves back in that passage in Luke that we started with last week in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38, and I'm going to read it in a second. Um, this is the story of the angel Gabriel coming to Mary to, to tell her that she will give birth to the Messiah. And I'm going to be reading in the New Living Transla Translation, um, Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. Let's read that together. It says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be frightened, Mary, the angel told her, for God has decided to bless you. You will become pregnant and have a son, and you are to name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. And he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, but how can I have a baby? I'm a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby born to you will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she's already in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant, and I am willing to accept whatever he wants. May everything you've said come true. And then the angel left. Tonight's uh, focus is just going to be on one line. Last week, Blaine focused on the whole passage and what this meant for, for Mary, um, the, the, the good news that the angel brought and what it means for our present lives here and now, um, and how he transforms us. But today I, I want to talk about just one verse, one line. It's found in verse 33. And it says, And he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. His kingdom will never end. Advent is the anticipation leading up to the celebration of what Jesus did when he came to this earth, what he did to our present reality, you know, how he transforms our lives now. That's what Blaine talked about last week in his message. But Advent is also the anticipation of what's yet to come. The eternal reign of Jesus and what that means for our faith. And this is what we're going to be talking about tonight, is this future that's yet to come. In order to uh, fully understand Jesus as the Messiah and, and what's yet to come, we have to not just focus on um, the gospel story and Jesus' life when he was here on earth, but we also have to go back to the Old Testament, specifically to the prophets who prophesied of Jesus coming and what his reign would look like now and in the future. We see this specifically um, in Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah prophesied a lot about Jesus, what, what his birth would look like, what his life would look like, and also this future reality that we believe in. He, he prophesied extensively about the birth of Jesus and the kind of king he would be. 
So a couple of things he said he was he would be born into the line of David. Well, we saw that in Luke already that that Joseph was in the line of David um, as as God promised to David back in the Old Testament. Isaiah prophesied about where he would be born, and then he later prophesied about the kind of death he would die for our sins and how he would redeem us. These are all prophecies that have already happened. They happened when Jesus was here on earth. But there are still prophecies that we're waiting on to be fulfilled. They haven't yet happened. They didn't happen when Jesus was here and we're still waiting for them to come. So while we get to have relationship with Jesus here and now presently, We're still waiting on the total fulfillment of some of these prophecies, the total fulfillment of his kingdom um, and his return to rule and to reign. I want to read um, a couple passages that we read in in day one of our Advent uh, Bible reading plan, if you're following along with us. In day one, we were in Isaiah. And um, I want to read... Starting in chapter 2, verse 2, it's Isaiah 2, verses 2 through 5. The prophet Isaiah says this, In the last days, the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem will become the most important place on earth. People from all over the world will will go there to worship. Many nations will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Israel. There he will teach us his ways so that we may obey him. For in those days, the Lord's teaching and his word will go out from Jerusalem. The Lord will settle international disputes. All the nations will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. All wars will stop and military training will come to an end. Come people of Israel, let us walk in the light of the Lord. And then flipping ahead to Isaiah chapter 9. A common passage that we read at the Christmas season. Isaiah 9, starting in verse 1, Isaiah says, Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will soon be humbled, but there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light, a light that will shine on all who live in the land where death casts its shadow. Israel will again be great and its people will rejoice as people rejoice at harvest time. They will shout with great joy like warriors dividing the plunder. For God will break the chains that bind his people and the whip that scourges them just as he did when he destroyed the army of Midian with Gideon's little band. In that day of peace, battle gear will no longer be issued. Never again will uniforms be bloodstained by war. All such equipment will be burned. For a child is born to us. We're in verse 6. A son is given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. These will be his royal titles. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His ever-expanding, peaceful government will never end. He will rule forever with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David. The passionate commitment of the Lord Almighty will guarantee this. Isaiah says that one day Jesus will come again to establish a new heaven and a new earth. 
Some believe that this is a, a physical rebuilding of the, the city of Jerusalem, and others believe that this is a symbo- more symbolic um, idea of, of Jerusalem and not so much literal. But what we know is that there is going to be a new kingdom with Jesus on the throne. And, and Isaiah says that he will rule with justice and fairness. He says that he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is who Jesus is. There's going to be no more war or bloodshed. We'll live in unity, worshiping God together, and it will be a kingdom of peace that will last forever. The Jews, when they were reading uh, these Old Testament prophets, they thought that their Messiah was going to come and bring this kingdom in their day and age. They thought that, that Jesus would come as a, an earthly king and would have this royal rule. And so, you know, they were really surprised when he was born in a lowly barn to a complicated and young family, when he never became an earthly king, when he ended up actually just dying without um, ever becoming a king or establishing this kingdom here on earth. This wasn't, um, this prophecy wasn't fulfilled in Jesus' lifetime. And so, if 2020 has taught us anything, um, similarly to the time of Jesus in the early church, it's that this new heaven and new earth, this this world that Isaiah is um, prophesying about, it hasn't yet come. New heaven and new earth have not yet been established. We're still waiting on the fulfillment of this prophecy that Isaiah is talking about. Much later in scripture, in the very last book of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, uh, the Apostle John is talking about a vision that he has of of, uh, the return of Christ, of this kingdom that Isaiah talked about so many years before. John is, is is, is talking about this prophecy and he sees a vision of the new heaven and new earth or this new city of Jerusalem, the city of God. And we read in the last chapters of Revelation about the characteristics of this city, much like Isaiah talked about. So in in Revelation 21, verses 3 through 7, John says this, I I heard a a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, the home of God is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will remove all their sorrows, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. For the old world and its evils are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making all things new. And then he said to me, Write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, It is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give the springs of the water of life without charge. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. And then a a few more verses in in chapter 22, verses 3 through 5, he says, No longer will anything be cursed. For the throne of God and the Lamb... For the, for the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there, and his servants will worship him, and they will see his face, and his name will be written on their foreheads. And there will be no night there, no need for lamps or sun, for the Lord God will shine on them, and they will reign forever and ever. So we th- see throughout Scripture 
th this, this kingdom where there is no darkness, there is no pain, when Jesus is on the throne and he is ruling. John's writing this after Jesus had already come to earth the first time. Um, and he, he knew Jesus. He, he had walked among him. And so he hadn't, even so he hadn't yet seen the fulfillment of these prophecies. He's talking about a future that's yet to come. Even though Jesus had already been born, he died and he rose from the dead, defeating death. These prophecies, this new heaven and new earth, his kingdom has not yet fully been realized. And it still hasn't. So even though there's a present blessing from the birth of Jesus, we're still waiting in hopeful anticipation of what's to come. Tonight I just have a few points about this return of Christ that we're waiting on and what it means for us. The first one is this, and it's short and sweet, and of all of them, this might be the most important because it's the most true. It's that the end is already written. The end is already written. We know the end of the story. The Bible says that it has been declared by him. God's timeline is very different than our linear understanding of time. We're here waiting on new heaven and new earth to be, to be established. We're waiting on the return of Christ. But the end of the story is already written. Death has already been defeated. And we can trust in these prophecies. We can trust in them because Jesus started fulfilling them that day in the manger bed. That day that we celebrate in this season of Christmas when Jesus came as a baby, that's when these prophecies started to be fulfilled. So Jesus started this, the end is already written. Point number two is that we live in hopeful anticipation of that day. Of that, that ending where Christ returns and when his kingdom is established forever and ever. We live in hopeful anticipation of that day. In, in theological circles, this is what's called our blessed hope. When we talk about the return of Christ, we talk about it and call it the, the blessed hope because we have a hope in a promise of Jesus' return and reign as king. How we live now is not the perfect way God designed it. Something is imperfect about this world that we live in. God designed for us to be in perfect relationship with him, perfect communion, where um, we can worship him fully in his glory. And this is what we see in Genesis before the fall, before sin entered the world. But now that sin entered the world, now that there's evil that is allowed to, to be among us, there is separation. We can't worship God fully in his glory the way it was intended at the very beginning. And this is why God sent his son in the first place to redeem us. He needed to do this because of the sin that was in the world. And so when Jesus came as a human to die for us and then rose again, it canceled the separation that existed between us and God in that we can have a relationship with him now. We don't have to um, be bound by the law or by our sin, but um, we no longer need to make sacrifices for those sin because Jesus was our sacrifice. We no longer need a high priest to go into the temple and to worship for us because we can worship because of what Jesus did for us. We are now saved by grace and we get all the benefits of being children of God. Jesus was our sacrifice and he is our high priest. However, when Jesus comes again, heaven and earth in the physical will come together. 
heaven and earth collide physically and we'll see God as he intended us to. In perfect communion with him because we still live in a world with sin and sin separates us from God. There still is a level of separation, but... Um, but God has intended for heaven and earth to come together, and that's what happens when Jesus returns in all of his glory. In 1 Corinthians 13, 12, Paul talks about it this way. He says, Now we see things imperfectly in a poorer mirror, but then, you know, when Christ returns, when, when this earth fades away, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity, and all that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely, just as God knows me now. When Jesus returns, he will defeat sin and death forever. We no longer will live in a world of separation. Heaven and earth will meet and will come together. I'm so grateful for what Jesus did for me and what it means for my life now, but I also recognize there's an even greater future in store. We believe in a kingdom that's beyond this one. And if we don't, we're missing a huge part of our faith. This is a core element of our theology that Jesus is returning to rule and to reign. Jesus is coming again. Point number three is that this hopeful anticipation of Jesus returning, the hopeful anticipation of the future affects how we live presently. Or in other words, our present actions are inspired by our hope in a future kingdom. This is what we mean when we say that we're living in both the now and the not yet. We live in this tension of what God has already done, but also what he's yet to do. We live in the now and not yet. And it's, it's, it's hard for us to live in this tension, right? It's, it's much easier for us to fall into one extreme or the other. I know there are a lot of churches, specifically in, in old school circles, that used to really talk so much more about heaven and about the next life, about new heaven and new earth, and Jesus is returning, and, and didn't really focus on what God wanted to do here and now in our world and the life that we've been given here. But then there's this kind of newer age thought, which is, is much more presently focused. It's like, you know, what's happening here and now, maybe heaven exists, um, but we're not really thinking about the return of Christ. What can we do right now? Like YOLO, right? You only live once. To pe- I don't even know if people say that anymore, but you know what I'm talking about. And I think it's easy for us to fall into these extremes. The the in-between is hard. Um, And some of this is because it's a difference between, you know, being a a persecuted church and a privileged church. The early church that was heavily persecuted, understandably focused so much and, and was watching and waiting for the return of Christ because this world really had nothing for them. And it was hard. So they were focusing on the life to come. But then for for many of us, we've lived in this kind of privileged world, a privileged church where we haven't experienced persecution or hardship so much. And so we love our lives here. We want to make the most of them here. And neither one is bad. Neither one is wrong. But in God's design, heaven and earth become one. So we live in a waiting for that day. But we live in a waiting that involves action. It involves action in the way that we live out our lives. So... Just a couple questions, a couple of prompts for, okay, what could this mean for us here and now? Well, how can we worship in a way more like God intended, even though we know it's not perfect yet, but how can we worship Him with that knowledge of how He intended? 
How do we walk in communion with God, in relationship with him, knowing that all will be made right and that he's coming again soon? How do we, you know, share the gospel with this hope in mind? How do we engage with missions? How do we share our faith, this good news of Christ? How does that change how we share when we know this hope of God? How do we celebrate what Jesus has done and what he will do? How do we engage in, in Advent, in Christmas? How do we celebrate who Jesus is? Another question, how do we pray knowing the kind of king he is? The, this hopeful anticipation, it affects how we wrestle with our circumstances. It's a hope that allows us to have joy even in suffering. Not just to, to bypass pain or suffering um, or the circumstances around us, but to know that there's something in store where death and pain will pass away. It's how I'm able to pray during a pandemic where thousands and thousands of people are dying. It's how I can continue to pray for some of my family members who right now are fighting COVID themselves. It's also how I continue to wrestle with my uncle's death after months and months of us praying that he would be healed of cancer, and it didn't happen. It's because I live in a now and not yet reality, knowing that God is engaged in my present world, that he's at work among us, that we get Jesus and he is enough, but also that there is a future and perfect kingdom that's not yet here. A hopeful anticipation impacts my present actions. So as we, we start to close tonight, my question is, is simple. How will we engage this Advent season? How will we engage in the celebration of Christmas, of Jesus coming to this earth? Our faith proclaims that the weary world can rejoice. And what a weary world we live in right now. We can rejoice because the King of Kings reigns both now and is also coming again. He's coming again to create a new heaven and a new earth where we will get to live in perfect communion with him. And all will be made right. There will be no war, no more pain, no more sickness, no more sin. We will be restored in relationship with him. He will rule in peace and justice and truth. Death will no longer be near us. Evil will be defeated once and for all, and Jesus will be on the throne. These verses in scripture and the verses, the lyrics of these carols, these hymns that we sing, they're not just empty words. They're hope and they're truth. And so tonight, I want to close by reading the lyrics to that familiar carol, O Holy Night, again. And maybe as we listen to these words, as we process what we've been hearing tonight, can they come to life maybe in a new way? O oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn Fall on your knees, O oh, hear the angel voices, O oh, night divine, O oh, night when Christ was born, O oh, holy night, O oh, night divine.
Led by the light of faith serenely beaming with glowing hearts, by his cradle we stand. So led by light of a star sweetly gleaming, here come the wise men from Orient land. The king of kings lay thus in lowly manger, in all our trials, born to be our friend. He knows our need, to our weakness he is no stranger. Behold your king, before him lowly bend. Behold your king, before him lowly bend. Truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Chains shall he break for the slave is our brother and in his name all oppression shall cease. Sweet hymns of joy and grateful chorus raise we. Let all within us praise his holy name. Christ is the Lord, O oh, praise his name forever. His power and glory evermore proclaim. His power and glory evermore proclaim. Let's pray. God, help us to see the glory of the coming of the Lord. Help us to see with heaven's eyes and to hope for a world where all is made new. Thank you that you defeated death. You know the end of the story and you're coming again to establish a kingdom that will reign forever. God, thank you that you made a way when you said it was finished on the cross. Give us a new revelation of your coming kingdom, King Jesus. Amen.